Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello all, I'm so happy you could all join us here today. I'm Danielle Oaks, I'm a shareholder in our San Francisco office and I'm a co-chair of the Technology Practice Group. I'd like to introduce our speakers today. First, I'd like to welcome my Tech Practice Group co-chair, Jen Betts, the managing shareholder of the Pittsburgh office. We also have with us Stephen Riga, a privacy expert practicing in our Indianapolis office. And last but not least, we have the benefit of another privacy expert and member of our tech practice group, Justin Tarker, a very busy and sought after of counsel in our London office. Let me just take a moment to describe the tech practice group. We focus on what's called the tech place, which consists of employers in the tech industry, as well as employers who use tech in the workplace, the tech place. We have several areas of focus, including AI and emerging labor and employment issues, and we're going to focus in on that here today. So today, we're going to talk about some of the key new technologies and practices out there in the tech place in the area of AI, biometrics, and robotics, and talk about some of the compliance issues that come up with the use of this technology. Jen, let me start with you. Can you tell us a bit about AI and exactly what it is and how employers are using it in the workplace? Yeah, absolutely, Danielle. Um, Thank you and happy to be with you this morning. There's not one kind of uniform definition of artificial intelligence, but I will tell you the one that I like to use, which is that artificial intelligence involves machines performing tasks in a way that historically would have required human intelligence. So AI consists of a series of algorithms or instructions for solving a problem. From the perspective of labor and employment lawyers, what's really important is this concept of algorithmic decision-making, which I'm gonna again define really generically as the process of inputting data to generate a score, a choice, or other output. Artificial intelligence involves a variety of subfields or different types of AI that solve problems. The one that comes up a lot with what we do for a living is machine learning. And that involves computers using data to make predictions. Machine learning has a bunch of different subfields, a bunch of different types, but basically all machine learning has the same basic purpose and same process, which is data is fed into a computer algorithm. And then the data is used by the algorithm to extract insights, identify patterns, relationships, and those insights can be used to make decisions. So what are our clients using artificial intelligence for in the workplace? A bunch of different ways. The ones that I think are most common and that we spend a lot of time talking about is the use of artificial intelligence in talent acquisition and recruiting, the use of artificial intelligence as part of performance management and identifying productivity, and then the use of artificial intelligence in hotlines or in other interactions with employees. So Jen, thank you. I mean, that's that's a lot of information to digest, but I want to throw one other thing out there in the mix. Um, when people talk about AI and its use in the workplace, they often refer to um, the phrase AI bias. What is AI bias and what do we need to know about it? Yeah, great question. Um, 
obviously when we talk about artificial intelligence, the reason that our clients, the reason that companies are interested in using it is because it has a lot of potential positive outcomes, um, improved efficiency, lower costs, better services, improved quality, less errors, you can go on and on. But there are also some concerns and that concern, the primary one uh, that gets a lot of attention is what you just referenced, which is AI bias. So obviously people, you and I and everybody else have biases, conscious or subconscious biases. The hope is that algorithms, if they're designed properly, could be more impartial and not have biases. While it's highly unlikely that an AI program would be intentionally developed to discriminate, what is a concern is the fact that an AI system may unintentionally discriminate or cause disparate impact. So algorithmic systems, AI, they're created by humans. Um, they have the potential to internalize the biases of their programmers or to otherwise have unintended consequences by relying on imperfect data or being structured improperly. And I'll just give you an example. Um, what's most commonly talked about in the literature is this idea that poorly selected data used for a machine learning algorithm could result in a system that inherits the biases of, of human decisions or that considers factors that are disproportionately correlated with protected traits like race, gender, disability status, or disproportionately represents certain populations over others. So imagine a um, talent acquisition system using and being trained on historical data sets where the hiring manager consistently favored men over women. The algorithmic system doesn't necessarily have an intent to discriminate against women, but it may, when it's reviewing resumes, for example, code out or not preference resumes that use the word female or women's, like women's field hockey, women's soccer. Ultimately, these AI systems are only good as the data that's being analyzed and the criteria that's being used to define the decision-making. And those two factors are of course impacted by the people who define the data, by the historical decisions encoded in the data being used and how to sort it. So a lot of kind of interesting, tricky issues here, not all of which are really well understood or developed obviously in the case law, Danielle. Jen, very, very interesting stuff. Um... Stephen, you know, I know there's really no way to talk about AI or technology without talking about the privacy implications of its use. Can you tell us a little bit about what those issues are these days? Certainly, Danielle. You know, some of the most common examples in the workplace of technologies in the, uh, that have privacy implications are technologies designed to directly monitor employee behavior. Uh, these are often used for productivity uh, purposes, but sometimes they're used for health or safety. You know, there, there may be very good reasons to record data about a semi-driver's uh, location while hauling uh, you know, cargo across country. But even if such functions can be justified uh, from a business standpoint, a lot of personal information is going to inevitably be captured and other information may be deduced when you know, your, the employee's daily activities are uh, captured and analyzed. Another space that is, uh, implicates privacy issues on a regular basis is biometric software that captures, stores, and uses the sensitive information for a variety of purposes, such as for access control or for time clocking. Uh, beyond the inherent personal nature of biometric information, such as facial scans uh, or uh, fingerprint scans, 
their use is highly regulated in certain jurisdictions. So employers have to be sensitive to that when they're using biometric technologies. And then also there's security systems, such as for workplace surveillance or equipment monitoring that may provide uh, direct or indirect information about employee locations and behavior. Uh, turning back to that semi-driver, if their truck is monitored to prevent theft, then it makes very little difference from a privacy perspective, whether that's direct monitoring of the truck or you know, direct monitoring of the uh, employee, because if the employer decides to use the security information for, for theft monitoring to, to evaluate the employee's driving practices, that's effectively still going to implicate that employee's privacy interests. These are just some of the uh, examples of where personal data is collected and used, which will trigger the need for data privacy compliance. That's, that's ultimately the question. If you're collecting information about your employees, and the technology you're using is collecting information about employees either directly or indirectly, ultimately you have to think through the privacy implications for that. Danielle? Well, Stephen, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, one, one other area of technology that gets used in the workplace that we haven't touched upon yet is robotics. And, and Justin, I wanted to ask you about that. We think of robots as mechanical machines like R2-D2 for those of you who are Star Wars fans out there. But how are clients actually using robotics in the workplace these days? Yeah, of course, you've got those um, famous examples, but um, automation isn't new in the workplace, so to speak. Um, many workforces already have one type of robot or another in their in their midst, particularly in the manufacturing industry. Um, and the advance, advancements we're seeing in technology now um, is not only further spread of robotics, but what is known as intelligent automation. Um, and robots are increasingly relying on a variety of advanced AI techniques to do things like interview job candidates, take food orders at restaurants, perform bank cashier or what in the US would be known as bank teller duties. And in fact, I think it was about a year ago in China that the first bank in the world entirely staffed by robots was opened, as in no human involvement at all. Um, and you also have robotic exoskeletons, um, which can, for example, help employees lift heavy items more easily. Um, and then another example, which a lot of people are familiar with, more so outside of the workplace, are wearables. That technology often involves a combination of robotics and artificial intelligence. Um, and these are beginning to move into the, into the workplace. And I'll just give you one example of that. So there's some tech companies that have developed wearable wristbands that track employee movement and can nudge nudge the individuals via vibrations when certain tasks are being in, done incorrectly. Um, and they can also measure the amount of time that is taken to complete a certain task. Now that's obviously quite um, close monitoring of employees, but, and that type of monitoring and use of AI does, as Stephen kind of touched on earlier, bring into play some legal and compliance issues. Danielle? Thank you, Justin. Uh, that's a great segue to the next um, area of focus here, which is what are some of the legal compliance issues that come up in connection with the use of 
the technologies we just talked about. And I think all of you have alluded to some of those, but let's take a, a deeper dive. And Jen, I'd like to start with you and, and dive a little deeper into the issue of AI bias. We, you've helped us identify its existence and what are employers to do uh, to try to avoid it? Yeah, thanks, Danielle. So you know, as I've already identified, there's a lot of attention on this issue of AI bias, right? Um, and it's this age old problem of new technology and old laws. So it's not entirely clear and there's not a lot of development about how, for example, Title Seven um, of the Civil Rights Act, which is you know the customary discrimination law that we're all familiar with in the US related to, for example, race discrimination. Um, or gender discrimination would apply in the context of an AI powered system because there's this issue of um, you know what was the reason for the de decision or the action which is one of the fundamental questions in Title VII or the Americans with Disabilities Act and when you have an algorithm that is recommending or even in some instances making the decision that creates a, a problem of traceability and articulation from the defendant from the company standpoint of the reasons and the rationale for why something occurred and so that makes this this area relatively tricky and there's not a whole lot of clarity like i said in the case law but what i can say is that the government has really been paying attention to these issues over the last couple of years there hasn't been a consistent approach from a federal level, at least. On the state level, we're starting to see a handful of states like Illinois and Maryland who've adopted some form of legislation trying to tackle some issues related to algorithmic decision-making, but really not focused on the bias aspect of things. And what I think is most likely, and you and I have talked about this before, Danielle, is that we're gonna see more interest from the Biden administration in this space in addressing the kinds of issues of bias and discrimination from algorithmic-based decision-making. And I will say in particular, Vice President Harris has been an outspoken critic of algorithmic bias. She's co-sponsored a number of proposed federal legislative actions related to bias, for example, in facial recognition technology. She's given a number of speeches about the very real need to be concerned about artificial intelligence and machine learning, how um, potentially racial or gender or other forms of biases are built into these systems. So what should we do? What should we keep an eye out for? Um, keep an eye on additional legislative movement, particularly from a state level. Keep an eye on different conferences and thinking groups being convened by agencies like the EEOC, like the FTC and the White House itself. And from a risk mitigation standpoint, be very sure as you roll out these technologies in your workplace that you take a clear-eyed and proactive approach to determine whether or not you feel comfortable that any kind of AI-based decision-making process that you unfold in your workplace has been appropriately tested and validated to try to mitigate the risk of disparate impact on the front end and then on the back end have some form of process in place to regularly audit and review the system and also don't forget that you wanna have human decision-making involved at least to some degree, at least now while the, the legislative and the legal landscape continues to shift, you don't wanna have, if you can at all avoid it, decisions being made exclusively by AI systems. Danielle? Jen, it makes perfect sense. Just like any tool that you use at work, at home or elsewhere in your life, you wanna make sure it's operating properly and it's actually doing the thing that you intended for it to do. Um, Stephen, 
We know that these technologies implicate, implicate privacy issues, and you, you previewed some of those for us, but what should employers do about um, this in avoiding the real possibility um, of claims arising in the privacy space? Certainly. So the first critical issue to consider is the jurisdiction in which you're operating. So if I'm a company working in a couple states in the United States, I'll have a different set of legal concerns for privacy and security than if I'm a multinational company out with operations in the EU, UK, and, and across North America and Asia. So careful analysis of your locations uh, and the laws that govern those locations before implementing a new technology is something employers will want to weigh. Determining what information is being collected by and from whom and how that information is then used, stored, and shared within and outside the company is necessary then as the next step to analyze the specific obligations and risks that arise throughout your process. That is not always easy with AI, um, but that does not change that employers need to get a handle on what information uh, is flowing through and how it flows through their organization. Technology, and in particular AI, often involves sensitive or special category information, types of data that can be subject to heightened protections. So uh, if, for example, a company operates in Illinois and wishes to implement a biometric time clock, they need to consider their legal obligations under state law regarding biometrics because Illinois has one of the, has essentially the most severe set of requirements as it relates to the using and processing of, of biometric information in the country. And they need to make do things and design things to, to make sure that they steer clear of the significant litigation risks posed when handling biometric data in that state. Another step that, that employers need to think through and make sure that they're um, handling properly is to minimize the collection and disclosure of personal information. Um, this is just basic good data hygiene, uh, but also in some states and countries, this is legally required. And so data minimization may be something that operationally, not just something that they should do, but it's something that they must do. You know, some jurisdictions, whether we're talking about California under the CCPA or the EU under the GDPR, um, also require notice of data collection. So some such notices are going to require certain things be disclosed, such as information about the information being collected, the purpose for that collection, and uh, with whom that information might be shared, how long is it going to be retained, and the Pact or, or decision-making that's being done based on the information in question. These are all common points that need to be disclosed in a th carefully thought through and crafted notice that outlines the specific requirements for the, the jurisdictions in which you're operating. In some states and countries, informed consent is necessary to collect, use, or share certain information as well. So that notice may be the method that you get to an informed consent. But not every jurisdiction views consent as enough. So in some locations, you're going to have to conduct a careful analysis and a conclusion that the information that is being collected 
represents something that is uh, a, a legitimate interest of the company in, in, in its activity. And as that, that concept is, is defined by law, knowing what is required in which jurisdictions will allow employers to make sure their practices meet the local requirements and identify and give a company the opportunity to sort through situations in which those rules effectively conflict from location to location. Because in a situation where, for example, consent is required in other jurisdictions, it may be that consent is, is not viewed as a valid reason to collect or use the information. So you have to be sure that you've addressed all of the different jurisdictions in which you operate. Many locations also require security measures to protect the information that is being collected. Uh, measures that take into consideration the risks of holding the information in question and what it could mean if that information were improperly used or disclosed. Of course, if a company does not have a good sense of what's going on with their, the information, how they're collecting it, how it's flowing through their organization, they're going to have a very difficult time managing the information and making sure that the risks that are posed by handling this information are adequately addressed. So it does circle back to this whole notion of you have to understand where you are and you have to understand what you're collecting and how you're using it, storing it, sharing it, and then uh, what you're doing about dis destroying it. Danielle? Thank you, Stephen. What's highlighted for me in your comments is the real tension between innovation and being experimental and creative while still um, confining yourself to the existing rules in place and making sure you don't exceed those. So that's that sounds like quite a challenge. Justin, as we wrap up here, can you give us a thumbnail sketch of some of the other issues that we haven't touched upon that we should be looking for when using AI in the tech place? Sure, um, a few examples kind of spring to mind. I would say the first one is employee monitoring, which we've mentioned a few times today. Um, in my view, there's a particular risk in relation to that. And the pandemic has required the majority of businesses to adopt remote work. And I've personally seen an explosion, so to speak, in employer monitoring as a result, whether that be to track employee performance and productivity, or perhaps to help ensure the security of the company systems. Those are all legitimate aims or grounds on which to engage in that type of activity. But whether you're using AI in your monitoring or not, it's important to remember the need to understand um, what the relevant recording and privacy and cybersecurity laws are in your local jurisdiction is a point that Stephen mentioned earlier. And it's, it's a really a point that we hope you take or listeners take away from this podcast. For example, is there a two-party consent rule in, in your jurisdiction? Are you considering whether you're monitoring or recording private communications? Because that may lead to additional obligations that need to be complied with. As is the case in most jurisdictions, in the UK, for example, it's important that you've if you're monitoring employees, it's important that you've given them adequate notice of how your recording, how your recording or monitoring program is going to work, um, as well as addressing the points mentioned by Stephen earlier. And just a brief reminder, that means telling them what information you may be collected, um, how and why it will be used, who it will be shared with. And another point is the need, uh, particularly under data privacy laws in Europe, 
to make employees aware if there's going to be any automated decision making, which obviously is a key component of using AI technology. Um, these are typically points that are addressed in an employee privacy notice. So uh, many businesses who have operations outside of the US, particularly in Europe, will, will be familiar with that document. Um, but the key, another key takeaway is just just remember to be transparent and at, at an early stage. In, in terms of data privacy compliance, that's the one point to kind of have it at the front of your, your mind. It's just the need to be transparent and um, be clear with individuals about how you're using their information. Another example I would say is geofencing or and or G, GPS. Um, I've also seen an increase in new technology tools used for COVID-19 mitigation some powered by AI and some not. Um, one thing to be aware of is if you do have a tech solution that is turned on all the time and is collecting data from an employee all the time, you could very well run into compliance issues from the perspective of um, relevant off-duty conduct laws and or employee monitoring laws in, in your jurisdiction. Um, and one way to try to mitigate that risk is to use a geofence tool. And in other words, that's a tool that's set up so that it only collects data when, for example, the employee is in the physical workplace. Um, and then last but not least, another example I would point to or highlight is workplace um, and health and safety issues. Now, I'm not a, an occupational health and safety lawyer to borrow a phrase from the US. So take what I say with a grain of salt. Um, but I think there's a baseline requirement pretty much anywhere in the world that all employees maintain a safe workplace for their employees and depending on the kind of AI you are using you could be creating additional safety risks that need to be considered and evaluated so I'll, I'll just give you one example here and that's in relation to the use of virtual reality goggles I've seen them become more commonly used in that employees are using them to monitor workplace safety and make repairs as they have less flexibility, for example, to send engineers on site. It's important to remember, there are some studies that suggest that prolonged use of VR goggles can cause nausea, dizziness, and other adverse health impacts. So as an employee, you just need to be continuously thinking about how the technology you're using may impact individuals and how it may trigger other obligations um, and the need to comply with rules um, specific to the jurisdiction where you're based and just try and develop a plan to mitigate against those risks before you roll out the, the relevant technology. And you'll notice, um, listeners will, will notice a consistent theme from what we've all said today. And that is just to have an understanding and to evaluate the issues before implement, implementation so you can put the right protections in place to avoid risk. Danielle? Thank you, Justin. Uh, there's a lot to think about. At this point, we're, we're almost at the end of our session. Jen, do you have any final words you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, absolutely, Daniel. Thank you. You know, the one thing, a lot of great points that our colleagues have made this afternoon and a lot for employers to be thinking about. But the one thing I want to emphasize is that obviously as attorneys, as defense lawyers, our focus is always on the risks, right? And mitigating the risks and what you need to do to stay compliant. But we certainly don't want to dissuade the companies out there that we work with or the listeners of this podcast from exploring and incorporating artificial intelligence and these new technologies in their workplaces. There are a ton of potential benefits 
a lot of really interesting and helpful uses for this kind of technology. And we think it's really important that employers embrace or at least explore this kind of technologies, but that they do it in a way that's mindful of risks. So don't wanna make it sound as if it's all doom and gloom from our perspective. We think there's a lot of value here that companies are exploring, are tapping into and should in the future. It's just doing it in a mindful way where you're thinking in advance of how we mitigate the, the present or potential risks of this new technology. Danielle? Thanks, Jen. And I'd like to say thank you to all of our panelists. This has been a very informative panel. And thank you to all of you, the audience, for joining us. We'll see you in the tech place. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.